Salutations, listeners. See Vilas Vallejo. Mark jumping in with Valamagulis. Nano Nano. Uh, thank you for tuning in. This is Three Men in a Basement, and we are the Ultra Crepidarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Hall here. Buenas noches. Timothy Magic. Ooh, Ooh, a little flair on that one. Like in this uh, podcast. No, it should be Bonsoir. <laughs> if you say so. Mon ami. Bonsoir. Bonsoir. Isn't, Mon ami. Isn't that a pastry? Yeah. All right, kind of keep oui. getting us through this door. In, in this podcast, we review movies and we deliver to you, the listener, an average schmuck's opinion about hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. In the show, we try to target movies that are not absolute blockbuster smashes. We try and target ones that are also not so obscure that you couldn't get your hands on a copy if you wanted to. Instead, we aim for that delightful sweet spot right in the middle. Those movies that uh, you maybe you haven't seen, uh, maybe you've heard of, maybe you've seen, but it was a long time ago, and they deserve another watch. We review these movies, and then we deliver to you, the listener, our take on whether or not they deserve to be dug out of obscurity and then popped back into your DVD player, Blu-ray player, 4K, high definition. VHS player? VHS, phonograph. Bootleg on YouTube. Yeah, wax cylinder. Sega CD? (laughs) Hire a bunch of minstrels to just dance and act it out in front of you. I like it. (laughs) In this episode, the ninth episode of the series, uh, we reviewed the movie Perfume, The Story of a Murderer. Holy shit. <laughs> Could have been an episode of Dragnet. <laughs> uh, okay, little like fun tidbit about that. I have seen this movie many, many times. It is one of my absolute top movies to recommend to people. But I actually thought this movie for a very long time was Perfume, A Story of Murder. Mm-hmm. Then I thought it was Perfume, The Story of Murder. Mm-hmm. Now... I understand it to be perfume, the story of a murderer. Yeah. yeah. It took me a little bit too long <laughs> to catch on to that that was the name of the movie, even though I've seen it many times. Yeah, so initial thoughts before we jump into our sort of IMDb specs. We want to get right to it. I'm still very much digesting. Uh, full disclosure, <laughs> everybody, this is my first view. Um, I, To be honest, I, I'd heard of this movie in passing, maybe when just walking past your colossal dvd obelisk um <laughs> but wow <laughs> yeah it just sort of happens to you and you just sort of have to let it happen mm-hmm. and then you can process that it happened after yeah. mm-hmm. yes uh it is definitely something that you need to sit on for a while so i feel a little bit bad for mark uh he's got going fresh um <laughs> Because this is my second viewing. Uh, Colin's got a, a little bit leg up on, on Mark and me, but at least I have a second time through seeing uh, this uh, particular piece of um, English-French cinema Yeah, for, uh, sure. for the second time. So I can go in with um, a little bit of veteranized, but not, but still, yeah, still have to question a good chunk of, especially the last quarter, but we won't get into that until spoilers. To, to, to contextualize this for you, Mark is sitting over here. His eyes are fully dilated. <laughs> His hair grew about six inches. Yeah. And he's shaking. Mm-hmm. Like, bad. Six and a half. Yeah. Like, Tim and I have been passing him tambourines. We have been passing him protein shakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that is the that is the only use that Mark can serve right now. Yeah. And most of that's true. 
Most. You have to tease apart as the listener what is true, what is not. Uh, meanwhile, Edit- we're going to... Editor Matthew, put in some tambourine songs. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to move on to some stuff that is true, allegedly. Um, this movie, Perfume, the story of a murderer, uh, hit cinemas uh, in 2006. This movie has a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb, 2 hours and 27 minutes that's that's a substantial runtime, and I it it does not drag. It that is a healthy runtime that this movie deserves and needed. I think uh, crime drama. How do we feel about that? Fair. That's fair. There's there's a good chunk of that in in certain quarter of the film. I feel like if if you had to peg it, that those are probably the categories. But at the same time, like this movie is sort of like it's it's a beast unto itself yeah see for me uh, when i when i hear like a, a crime movie or whatever i i i envision a case unfolding i envision an investigation that that's what i think you know that's what comes to mind when you say crime and there wasn't much of that in this i mean there was i guess i suppose a little bit this it's tough know. with it's tough with uh, pairing it with a more of a period piece it's definitely more of Period piece is probably something that should be wrapped into that. I don't think that's like a standard category that IMDb has, but mm-hmm. if they did, that should be on there. Yeah, even almost like a character study. I mean, like it's it's all about him and his and like mm-hmm. getting into his mind. Um, if you can. <laughs> yeah. There's there's times I'm just like, wow. You know, this Whew. this is not, you know, NCIS. You know, but which is kind of where my head goes when I hear crime drama. I, I don't know. That's just me. Yeah. No, I think I think the best way to put the classifications that IMDb has up here are probably it's the best they could do with the categories they had. Right. To harken back to a previous review, this is definitely no Citizen X as far as that uh, subgenre goes. No, yeah, yeah. Citizen X hit it right on the head with crime with and drama. crime and drama yeah. and investigation. No, it's... This is, uh, that just, um, Perfume just skates the surface with that. Alright, so this movie was directed by Tom Tykwer? Tykwer? Sorry, Tom. Tykwer? I I don't recognize your name, but, um, I feel like I don't recognize a lot of these directors because we're targeting sort of these these mid-range films, but, Mm -hmm. sorry, Tom, I don't, I'm not familiar with your work, but you did a hell of a job, buddy. Stars in this movie, we've got Ben Wishaw. I've never seen him before in anything. Um, he is the star of the film, and I think he knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. I think I think he he embodied the character well, but I think we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. We got a little known actor, uh, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, did I believe play, his name is? He, I think his only other role was The Conscience. That's yeah, it. Yeah, Joan of Arc. Yeah. Oh my That's gosh! It. Wow, what a, re- a repeat actor! Yay, go us! <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Dustin Hoffman, you probably know from The Graduate, from Hook, from Mr. Magorium's Wonder Emporium. If you're a younger listener, Schwer, maybe. Oh, oh so good. Oh, so good. I get the chills. Uh, yeah, you know who Dustin Hoffman is, and if you don't, familiarize yourself with his body of work, because it's amazing and substantial. Because he's not Richard Gere. Yeah, thank us in the emails. <laughs> uh, another big name in this, uh, we had Professor Snape, or, you know... Alan Rickman. As you may know him, Mr. Alan Rickman, um, R.I.P., the late... Uh, he the late great the like everything that this man touched that I've come across has been gold 
Um, and because he's no cool. exception. What did you like him more as? Did you like him more as Snape or did you like him more as Hans Gruber? Oh man, I liked him more um, in Galaxy Quest. Oh, my oh! God. yeah, I didn't Bold think spinners. I was going there. Mm-hmm. Doctor Lazarus. <laughs> But no. By Grabthar's hammer. <laughs> Shall I revenge? No, but, but seriously though, everything that he does, I, I, I really enjoy seeing him on screen. See, I liked him best as Metatron. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. By the way, Galaxy <laughs> Quest and Dogma are both, both on our list, yes. so we will definitely be be tearing those up here mm-hmm. pretty shortly. Anybody else that we sort of recognize in this film? I I, I didn't see anybody else that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, A lot of sort of unnamed people, which I think helped this film along a lot. Uh, Let's get into the the description of the movie. So IMDb has this as Jean-Baptiste Grenouille, who's played by Ben Wishaw, born with a superior olfactory sense, creates the world's finest perfume, his work, however, takes a dark turn as he searches for the ultimate scent. Uh, yeah, that's 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 the nuts and bolts of it. I think that's honestly that's pretty well crafted. Uh, this is the movie that, like, if you know something about it, you you don't really want to show your hand. You just sort of want to let somebody see it for the first time without giving too much away. And I feel like that crafts it really nicely in in a way that that you know what the movie's about, but it doesn't give. The it doesn't give away the, the the secrets to the movie. Yeah. No. Yeah. And honestly, I think with this specific movie, and this isn't giving anything away because we haven't we haven't gotten into spoilers yet. You know, it's a movie almost meant to make you feel things. It's meant to make you experience things. It's meant to like put you through something. You know, I think even if you were to just describe the whole movie to somebody you wouldn't do it justice. You know, it's almost like a, like a Dunkirk or, or something that is, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about it in the intangible section here, but like it's, it's the atmosphere. It's the, you know, it's the, the life that's breathed into this movie. I think for me, again, I'm still digesting it, you know, but it wasn't so much the plot or the story that, that jumped out to me. It was the experience. I think one thing that I, I, I think you might be driving at and that I would agree with is Personally, for me, I don't think there's anything else out there quite like this film. I think it's it's very much a work unto itself, which is very unique, especially in modern cinema. Uh, I don't think you need to be a, a film fanatic to know that we are living in the age of reboots, sequels, prequels, and... And, and adaptations. And adaptations, and it's just... It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. So to see something like this crop up... I mean, it wasn't yesterday, but what, 2011... Um, sorry, 2000, 2006, my yeah. bad. Uh, second youngest, second oldest, uh, or second youngest movie we've watched on the podcast. We now. were still well with, well into the age of, mm-hmm. of, what, what do we want to call this? The age of remakes. Yeah. <laughs> the age of lazy, the, the yeah. age of lazy screenplay. Well, yeah, yeah. The, the, the golden age of dragging your feet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not to like knock Marvel movies or anything, but no. this was like right before the Marvel Cinematic Universe took over and became yeah. the tentpole movies of. What did we have? We had Iron Man. An entire generation. Yeah, Iron Man was what, 2007? 2007 yeah, or 8. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, was that late? Um, shoot. Um, so this then, was right there. Right there. Um, they had gained a slight foothold with the X Men movies. Mm-hmm. A little bit, yeah. And Spider Man had some marginal success. Mm hmm. But they hadn't really crafted the modern MCU yeah. mm-hmm. until the first Iron Man. So yeah, it's it definitely 
stands apart and and i dig that about it so uh i'm showing my hand a little here we're going to jump into recommendations i recommend the shit out of this movie to anybody i feel who can handle it and i think that's the best way of putting it it's a very intense movie it's a movie that is not for the faint of heart and it's also not for i would say not for younger audiences but if you are an adult and you are looking for something you haven't seen before and you are looking for a an amazing film that there was a lot of time and energy poured into, this is the movie that you need to see. Even if it's not your favorite movie ever, I don't think anybody can get out of this movie not respecting it. And I think that's important. So yeah, I'm way, way, way over the 50% mark with this movie. Damn. Gentlemen, I think uh, the first time in my life, I am just below the 50% mark. I don't have confidence in general audiences being able to uh, walk away from this movie, or even finish this movie. I think they'll get to about the point where the tone shifts for like the second or third time of this film, and they'll just turn it off. So unfortunately for general audiences, nope, I don't recommend it. For cinephiles, absolutely. Stay through it. It's a trip. You're gonna you're gonna have some questions. You're gonna have some head scratching moments, but uh, but for uh, folks out there in podcast land, buckle your seatbelts and get ready for a bumpy ride if if you can bear it. So, but I don't so recommend it to the general audience. No faith in humanity coming nope. coming out of a uh, right field here with Tim. Mark, uh, where are you at? Sorry. <laughs> really gonna just echo, shy of the 50 percent just shy of it. i'm gonna echo some of those sentiments here because i think that this movie is too intense for mm. most people um i again i'm still digesting it i'm grateful to have seen it i i would again there are people that i would recommend it oh absolutely it's an experience you know <laughs> it, it really is but i think i can in my personal life i think there are more people in my my sphere that I wouldn't be able to recommend it to than there are people that I would. Now, like I said, I'm still digesting it. This is an experience, and I'm, I'm very grateful to have seen it. And, it, you know, not to use some of your some of your words here, Tim, but, like, to cinephiles, you know, people who are looking for art uh, from their movies, this is that, I think, in my, my opinion. Um, but I don't know. Uh, do I recommend... Is it over the 50%? By what criteria? I'm I'm spinning my wheels here. Your personal, did you like it enough to like, would you recommend it to yourself or to somebody who you view similar to you? Yes. Yes. If I'm going to talk to myself three hours ago before we started this, um, yeah, 100%, I would recommend it to 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 that version of me. Um, but but not for everybody. It's definitely not for everybody in, in a way that I think none of the movies that we have reviewed thus far, you know, have been. Um, but man, again, I think my lack of words and my, my wheel spinning should speak volumes, even if I can't articulate what I'm, what I'm trying to say. I can relate to Mark exactly because I've had this conversation before where a fellow movie junkie and I were in the room and they were like, well, what is the strangest movie you've ever seen? And after watching this with Colin in his living room one time, that like perfume took the center (laughs) stage for that. Like. I can't describe the ending. Like, the IMDb sums it up pretty good for just the tip of the iceberg. But the like, like the execution of this movie, I, I can't make it manageable for 
general audiences. I just can't do it. Yeah, There's well, no words and, for it. And, it. and it's not just that it's like this like B-movie that's like oh, just no. bonkers off the wall, you know, that you can't it's describe. It's very well shot, yeah. And it's, that, all that good stuff. It's very well made, mm-hmm. and it's almost because it's well made, and it's so unique and rich and weird and... So, I think what we have here at this point is three people in the room who love this movie. I think everybody everybody has a general understanding that, like, this is the kind of movie that maybe not everybody would be into. So, I think the kind of, I think what I would say to our listeners at this point is, if you are unsure, feel free to stray into the spoiler territory of this episode. Mm -hmm. You'll get a better flavor for what is going on and if it's the kind of thing that you might like or not like, and then maybe make your decision from there. I think if there's any part of you that wants to see this movie just based on what we've said so far, turn off the podcast and go watch it before you listen to the spoiler section because the movie is enhanced by your lack of knowledge. So with that being said, are we ready to move to spoilers? Yeah, hang on. You said this movie is enhanced by your lack of knowledge. Like that. That's a that's a good description. You know, that little that little mm-hmm. snippet. This movie is enhanced by your lack of knowledge. I went into it not looking at the cover, not seeing any trailers. I knew nothing going in, and that's I think part of the reason why I'm so, you know, um, baffled. And I had the same experience. I I think this is something I can say before spoilers that like I had a buddy at work who was telling me about this movie and he was giving me like far more information that I normally like to have about a movie. And I was like, wow, that sounds really interesting, blah, blah, blah. I sort of stashed it away in the file cabinet of my mind at the bottom of a drawer until Blockbuster was having a sale. Yes, I said that. Yeah, just get it. That's normally my life. Yeah, you you leave me me alone with my Blockbuster. That's normally me with (laughs) rentals from 20 years ago. (laughs) And so Blockbuster's having a sale. I find just the disc, not even the, the, oh yeah, not even the packaging. And (laughs) I was like, yeah, I was like, oh, Daryl was telling me about this. I gotta, (laughs) I gotta pick it up. I bought it on a whim. I watched it that night and I was in the same position as Mark. I had a disc that gave nothing away. I had been, it had been two years since this movie had been described to me by somebody who had watched it like three weeks prior. So, I mean, I was not very well versed in what I was going to experience and it was, it was a happy experience, um, at at least for me personally. So let's, uh, track here a little bit into spoiler territory, territory. Spoilers! Wow, that was obnoxious. You had uh, uh, an air horn, uh, a drunk goat getting violated, and you had Tim, who I think had to close that injury. Thank God we have the ability, the ability to edit. No, no, leave it in there. God leave damn it. it. God damn it! We I stick. I stick by to my your not PC jokes. Well, at least he knows. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Okay, let's spoil the shit out of this movie. Right. I want to start off here. This shit is a this dirty movie. fucking movie. This is a oh, gross. Filthy. It is a gross, it's... disgusting movie. Oh yeah, you thought you thought Les Mis was gross in the opening. Nah, this takes it up to eleven. Yeah, but it's it's gross not in a way that like your you know your standard human centipede or you know teeth is gross. It's nope, gr- everybody still has clean teeth in this movie. It's okay. Yeah. It's a natural gross. No, yeah, it is. It is. Dirt this... under the fingernails and like uh, fish markets and tanneries. Just Everything is life. filthy. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I believe, 
I mean, granted, full spoiler alert, I was not alive in the 1700s. Oh, uh, baby Mark! Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but you don't, this you is, don't, wa- you don't want to be, trust me, buddy. This is what I would imagine is probably what it would be like. It's dirty, it's gross, no one showers, mm-hmm. no one... Uh, it's so it, It's basically the, the exact opposite of your standard spaghetti western where, like, it's supposed to be depicting, like the wild west and like all the streets are clean and the cowboy comes in with like pressed clothing and quaffed hair like it's the opposite of that it's like these this is the this takes place in the streets of paris or it opens in the streets of paris and it is fucking disgusting there is shit literally running in the Mm -hmm. streets there are like piles of guts on the streets Mm -hmm. people are puking people are shitting around corners Mm -hmm. like Everybody's hair is messy. Yeah. If they have a wig on, great. But if after that takes off, it's like, ugh. All their hands are just, like, black with filth. But, yeah, yeah, even though there there are some scenes that, like, underscore that where, you know, like you were saying, there's some some vomiting and shitting and and yada yada. But everybody flosses, so it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Even when they're just panning over the audience and they're not doing anything that is, like, viscerally disgusting, their appearance is disgusting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the glistening of the grime you know it's so tangible it's so well captured it's like that it's that attention to detail that i think makes this movie great is like i truly believed that they sent a letter to every extra and said do not shower for three (laughs) weeks before showing up to film this movie because it looked like that Mm -hmm. i yeah i have to give it a nod for not shying away from um some dark shots some uh shadowy intentionally doom and gloom looking shots uh, some barns, some basements, stuff like that, candlelight. They they definitely didn't shy away from that, uh, from the natural daylight to the cellar internal light. I give them, cr- I give them mad props for that, that yeah. they didn't skimp on, like, making people, like, half exposed. Definitely. Yeah. So, let's, let's uh, start rolling with the overview, and we will... I think pick up like elements of this movie that are just just it just gets better and better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or so this, worse or worse, or worse or worse, depending <laughs> on who you are. Take. <laughs> so this movie, um, uh, as the IMDb description said, uh, follows Jean Baptiste Jean Baptiste Grenois 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 and it literally starts. With his birth. Several moments before his birth. Mm-hmm. His mother is a fishmonger, and she is in this, the nastiest part of Paris, the fish market, and she literally climbs underneath her stall, gives birth to him, and then kicks him away yeah. with the intent of killing him, and then goes try, to try to help. Dead, not, like, oh, not, yeah. yeah. Just leaving him for dead. Right, right. And she goes to help a customer, and the customer notices the baby because the baby starts crying, and she ends up dead as a result of trying to kill her baby. So she gets sent to the gallows, he gets sent to an orphanage, um, but very early on it gets identified that he smelling is his thing. I would also like to add a note that this entire movie, I, we totally forgot to mention this, fuck. This entire movie is narrated by John Hurt. Yes. Mm-hmm. And John uh, Hurt, Alien, uh, V for Vendetta, um, take your pick. Mm-hmm. John Hurt is absolutely incredible. And he does an incredible job as narrator, really carrying you through the story and sort of filling in some of the details and, and gaps in plot that I don't think it, the it, dialogue could have captured. It really made it almost feel... There were elements to it that like 
almost like black comedy, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, we're again, we're, we're in spoilers here. Um, every person that cares for him, I'm not, I don't even want to use that word. Isn't every person who he interacts with in any kind of substantial way mm-hmm. dies after he leaves their presence. And it almost has this like comedic spin to it. It's, it's not played as comedy, but the way it's presented you know, it's like, you know, you just kind of, you know what's happening when he, when he leaves their presence. And it's, <laughs> it's narrated in a way that's like, man, I'm, just, I'm telling a story. And it's, I don't know. It's, He's basically good luck Chuck, but people die instead of find their soulmate. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And God, I'll, I love John Hurt from the day he was born to the day he, you know, left this world. But, man, sometimes he takes me out of the movie, though. I do love... I, I, I want to preface, like, you know, going, again, prefacing for spoilers ahead of time. One of his lines is my quote, so I do love his contribution to this movie, but a little bit later, kind of takes me out of it. See, that's interesting. I, I feel like it really, like, it really helped weave me through the through the movie, but if yeah. if that was something you were picking up, maybe it's something that some of our listeners will be sensitive to. So... After a beat, mm-hmm. he is in this orphanage. The other kids do not like him. They sense that he's strange. They try several times to kill him or to get him away. Um, he is developing his sense of smell all through this time. He ultimately ends up getting sold to a tannery, which I, is... I want to say, like, hang on. <laughs> he's not just developing his sense of sp- smell. He is Clark Kent in Kansas, developing his super sense of smell. Oh, yeah. I mean, he is very much true, so able true, to true. smell... An apple on the tree, a tree uh, branch falling, um, the river two miles away, the toad in the river, the the little eggs that they're laying in the river. Yeah, it's definitely it's, presented like a is, supernatural kind of thing. It's very, very much above the normal range of a human or a dog or a, any other um, animal on the planet. See, I think point. that's interesting because like... Which is I, fine. I, yeah, I've actually like discussed this before with other people, and I feel like it's it's interesting in that it's definitely superhuman, mm-hmm. but I don't know if it's quite supernatural, which Smelling is kind of interesting. In a river? Smelling things in a river. I, think I mean, for, when you for hear a human, like it's supernatural for a human, for a human, it's yeah. it's superhuman. But it, I you know, like I think there are animals in the animal kingdom that can like a. a Turkey vultures have, you know, like the best sense of smell. Um, they could smell things like miles away. Like foxes can smell mice underneath the snow when they're near it. And like near it, but I mean, like you know, the when, the whole like a shark the... can scent like a sense like a drop of blood in like yeah, however many. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and that's that is kind of what it's like. You know, it's you know he's detecting you know a drop of blood from miles away like a shark. Yeah, basically, yeah, and I mean, like, yeah, so. it, I I will concede that it's right on the border there to to supernatural uh, it, for human for human for extent, human is way beyond human, human way capacity beyond capacity. But that I'm drawing the, a distinction here between of, what is yeah, what is supernatural nature? versus superhuman. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it, he is you know in the same way that Spider Man may not be doing things <laughs> that are like supernatural. He's doing things that are superhuman. Yeah. Sure, sure. So a pivotal part of the movie, he's, you know, he's with the tannery. Um, he makes a name for himself, you know, and at this point, you know, he's kind of trusted enough. The, the the guy who's running it says, OK, grab grab some stuff together. We're going to go into the city. We're going to we're going to sell some some pelts or, or whatever. And Let's also like take a take a moment to just 
appreciate how beautiful it was that a tannery is what was chosen as like the thing he was sold into labor for because like tanneries are notoriously smelly like they're the kind of place that would not only turn your stomach but like I don't know this for a fact, but the kind of shit that they use to, like, tan hides and stuff, Mm -hmm. that shit's got to just, like, burn up your olfactory system. I got to imagine that the person walking out of a tannery after 10 years of working there probably couldn't smell a fart if their nose was in an ass. Jesus, yeah. Well, yeah, they're they're processing and flattening flesh. Uh, (laughs) Aren't we all, Mark? Yeah. (laughs) So he, he goes into town, and while he is in town... He's confronted with all these new scents, smells, but most importantly, he he smells a, a woman for the first time, and he follows her down an alleyway. Um, long story short, he ends up confronting her. Well, he ends up sneaking up on her and grabs her. There are some people that kind of walk into the alleyway, and in an effort to keep her quiet, because obviously she's being creeped on, she starts screaming. Uh, he holds over her. He holds his hand over her mouth, and she passes away while he's hiding. And it's such he, a this is a great euphemism. Yeah. It's like she passes away gently. She's like, no, he definitely smothered her to death. But I think the interesting thing about well, he wasn't trying to kill. He her. was not trying to kill yeah. her. That's true. And I think I, that that carries a theme throughout this whole movie. Absolutely, he does not view other people as people. They are products. They are ingredients. He doesn't. He doesn't feel anything when he kills her, and he is infinitely more distraught that her pheromones fade as she dies, and doesn't seem to care anything about her life that faded away. It's all about the scent. And a brilliant bit of acting. Like he looked genuinely confused. Mm-hmm. So basically, like as Mark said, he like sneaks up on her, not because he's trying to attack her. He just wants to smell her, but. That's really fucking weird, and people don't like that. So he's, like, right up behind her, in the dark, in an alley, and she turns around, notices him, and starts to scream, and he doesn't want her to scream. Like, that's it. Like, he doesn't grab her because he wants to attack her. He grabs her because she starts screaming, and there are people walking by, and he doesn't want to get in trouble. So he, like, puts his mouth over her hand and nose, and then she dies, and when everything calms down, he, like, looks down at her, and he's just shocked that she's dead. It's like a Lenny and his rabbits mm. kind of situation. That's exactly... That's a good that's way a of good putting analogy. it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I love how this movie is shot, because it does present itself as a pretense for romance, a pretense for suspense, um, and it, and it uh, subverts your expectations a lot of times, because you're seeing him very in- infatuated with this uh, French fruit teller fruit vendor yeah yeah um, comes back to her several times during the movie several times. in very, his head he's very obsessed with her and like taken by her so it's very shot in a rom- what would be a romantic or sexual pretense but the movie really goes hard left yeah. with uh, with the execution of her yeah he doesn't seem to have a sexual component to yeah. his you know his existence which is brought up several times by the narrator mm-hmm. and is is ultimately sort of tied back to this person led nothing more than a life of no nothing less rather than a life of brutality. Mm-hmm. I mean, he literally was kicked away by his mother seconds after he came out of her in an attempt to kill him or in an attempt to ignore him and deprive him of love i mean like that was his fucking entry to the world then he just basically tries to get like people try and kill him his entire life Mm -hmm. he gets whipped and beaten and starved and 
a very savage life and and as a result can't love anything yeah yeah so he again and i don't want to linger on this one scene for a while but I, i think it's really important to the movie is he's he's trying to you know he's he's sniffing all over her body he he tears her clothes off again not in a sexual way in a he's like almost like he's trying to absorb her essence and he's he's sniffing her body sniff you know sniffing her you know her stomach her leg her arms um and you you can tell that like as he's doing this he seems to be getting less and less of what he's after you know he's almost he actually uses his hands and like scoops at her skin to try to like get her smell and it's just it's it's leaving and you can tell that he's um distraught he's very distraught that he can't smell her in the same way um and that is what kind of kicks off his his journey you know he at that point decides and the narrator certainly helps he is going to try to preserve that smell um and we I mean we know and all smells and all smells but specifically the pheromones that that he he's aware of and he can smell but don't have an odor per se it's you know, nobody else seems to be able to detect them or anything else for that matter but they're affected by them but they're affected by them and he is so enthralled by various scents that he wants them to live forever so he ends up uh inadvertently through luck getting assigned a delivery to a perfumer played by dustin hoffman um, and he's a an Italian perf- perfumer who came to Paris, made his fortune. Maybe that's a bit strong, but he he had a series of successes when he first came. It's been like thirty years. He's washed up. He's he hasn't come out with anything new, and nobody is in his store and buying his stuff anymore. So after this delivery, he basically convinces Dustin Hoffman of his skill, and then after he has convinced him of his skill, it's a short throw to say Dustin Hoffman hires him as an apprentice uh, or as a journeyman and starts to teach him how to mix perfumes, what what goes into them, how to distill essential oils, um, which is like one of the major techniques for capturing smell. And then also in this, a really sort of important plot point, Dustin Hoffman in this lesson gives him a, a description of the three components of all perfumes. The three chords. The three chords, yeah. The he he says it just like that, like the the just like chords in music, um, or just like notes in music. Perfume is a symphony and it's a harmony, mm-hmm. and there are three major chords. There's the head chord, that's your first impression. It lasts a couple of moments. The heart chord, which is the theme of the play, I'm, I'm doing air quotes right now, that is basically what the perfume is about. And then there is the bass chord, and that is the chord that will stick with you, linger for days, that's the, the one you'll dwell on. And he sort of explains this to him, and then tells him this legend of uh, an Egyptian tomb that was opened where there was a perfume that had a fourth chord that... Uh, nobody knew what it was, but legend has it that when it was opened up, everybody on Earth stopped and thought that they were in paradise for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a very defining scene, and it's the scene that actually causes him to set out to create his own three chords with a fourth chord of new smells for what purpose, who knows, other than to 
preserve and to mix and to, you know. Well, that was one of the things, I mean, I don't want to say that I related to, but I found, you know, interesting is he wasn't in it for money. He wasn't in it for fame. He was, it was a, it was a project. It was a mission. It was his calling. You know, it was his destiny. It was something, it was greater than himself. You know, I really felt almost like he didn't have a personality. It was, it was all drive, you know, um, you know, there's session. Yeah. He gets beaten down, criticized, you know, tortured, um, throughout the movie in, in various ways. And I never felt like any of it meant anything to him because ultimately his calling was greater than anything that anyone could do to his body. You know, because his mission was more important than all. Yeah. Uh, Jean-Baptiste is a very tough protagonist to follow, if he even is that. Because his sole mission is to trap essence, which is very, um, in its uh, in his time and age, uh, both beautiful and deadly. The flowers are killed to trap the essence of their scent. Uh, we're in spoilers now? Oh, yeah. The women he kills... <laughs> are trapped in the essence so he can complete his mission. There's no re- relatability to that. I don't know anyone who wants to set out to complete a perfume. <laughs> no, not not in <laughs> like, that, like, like in, his, his methods are relatable. Yeah. Um, but his, like, singular vision, you know, was something that I found. His call to action. And, and I think what, you yeah. know, what you're saying, Mark, is that that's the beauty of this movie is, like, it really showcases a character who has only one thing on their mind mm. And it's not like people are in his way and like, get out of my way or I'll kill you. People are the objects that he needs in order to do his thing. And there's nothing more to it. There's there's no sexuality involved. There's no like, oh, I can also rob this person. It's like, I don't give a shit if you are like dripping in gold. I want your essence. Mm-hmm. And if that were if that translated to a different object people would relate to it a lot more. And I think that's why they set the stage with like the, the delivery of flowers. Like you've got 10,000 rose heads that are, are sitting that are going to be boiled down into essential oil. Like nobody gives a shit that you Mm -hmm. just killed 10,000 roses. Mm -hmm. People don't care about that. And he feels the same way about people Mm -hmm. as we do about those roses. Like he sees them as just a means to an end a means to getting his the oil that he needs and wants. Yeah. And that's that's really interesting. Like there are not a lot of movies where you have a protagonist or an antagonist for that matter whose singular vision drives them to a state of whole independence from other people's state of being. Yeah. It's totally isolated, which is really incredible. Yep. Yep. It's Go ahead. It's very it's very peculiar. Like there's there's been plenty of movies that have uh, shown us the uh, perspective through the serial killer, but I don't think I don't think many of them hit the narrative through this lens. Yeah, right. Not nearly as right. much. Not nearly as subtle, I should say. Yep, yep. So in the in the interest of kind of continuing, you know, and, and not not stalling here. So Dustin Hoffman's character, um, he he learns everything he can from him. He leaves him. He goes uh, to this this new town. And his mission at that point is to figure out how to distill what are essentially the the pheromones of another person. And there's a lot of trial and error. And he eventually finds this process where he is able to preserve uh, those pheromones. 
And at that point, it turns into um, it's not a montage, um, but it sort of is. Yeah, I mean, it's like a, a, like a dark montage. I mean, like when you say montage, people think like music Stallone, like running through like snow things. with like fucking like an axe on his back. Yeah. But this is, I mean, in, in the traditional sense, this is a montage. Yeah, yeah, it's just a really dark one. Yeah, he's 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 killing women, um, all attractive women, um, specifically almost for that that reason, um, healthy you know 20s whatever it doesn't matter um and through this montage i mean the score is like i mean the the score through the whole movie is just fucking amazing oh, yes. mm-hmm. it is super dark it is super like grandiose and operatic uh is probably the only way to put it i mean like and i say operatic because there are literally like fucking opera singers singing in the back sometimes it, it's it, it, you know oftentimes they'll have like an entire choir in the back like bringing you through this movie like you feel like you're you're riding on a ship it's so so driving to your emotions you feel like you're bouncing up and down um mostly down <laughs> when you're watching this movie it's incredible yeah amazing score yep yep so uh, eventually he he gets everybody or he gets almost everybody that he wants um there's one final um woman that he's after and again it doesn't happen in a scene but ultimately he he procures her essence, and it kind of culminates to this scene where he, he's captured. And I don't this this was a scene that I had an issue with, and I don't know how much I loved it. I maybe it was important, you know, to the character. I don't know. I still haven't quite digested it. But again, he, he's captured. They they know what he what he's done, and um, you know he's walking up to the executioner's block, and he he has this. You know, vial. Th- this, this vial of, of the perfume that he's basically harvested, what, like 13 women for. Um, and as soon as he pops it open, everyone around him loses their minds. And they start fornicating in the streets. Literally, an entire group of you know, what was probably 500 people start fucking in the streets. 500 is like... It was like 5,000, like 10,000, like yeah. fucking just no, massive exactly. orgy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was an entire courtyard full of people. Yeah, it was a lot of people, including the the bishop the bishop that was <gasps> proceeding over the execution. Um, Allegedly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't love this scene. You know, it felt for me like a departure from, I don't know, from, from the rest of the movie. It's a big jump. It, it's a big jump in tone. Because magic perfume is magic. Yeah, it's like that's that's the thing. It's like it goes from it goes from something that's like, oh man, down on his luck, um, uh, uh, down on his luck, uh, orphan kid, looking to make his way in the world. Oh, well, he likes he likes uh, he's got super he's got super nose. Cool, maybe you can use that. Oh, he murdered that girl. Oh shit. Oh, that's bad. That's a weird tone shift. Oh, he's gonna be an apprentice at the perfume shop. Down on his luck. Super smeller, like is he fucking hitching yeah. across the country with like yeah, yeah he's a, he's the under- backpack. Like, him, him, him and underdog, him and underdog are gonna have a good and Huckleberry Hound, or they're all gonna get together and they're gonna be down on their luck. Yeah. Anyways, and then and then he's like, oh shoot, I'm a perfume uh, apprentice. Oh well, I I got captured the Endus. Where I go? Oh grass. Okay, bye. See you, Dustin. Oh shit, that blew up. Um, and then he goes, goes, oh, I guess I became a serial killer. Oh, shit, that's bad. That's a tone shift. And then what else happens? Oh, now I'm an angel. I'm incarnate because of my magic 
No, Vile is no, magic. Tim, I don't, I don't want to like speak out of turn here, but I feel like you just sucked all the fucking magic out of that movie. <laughs> but you're right. It's, it is. Ex- see, the movie I, did jump that way. I, see, four or five times it jumps, and I, it's like I, I don't what? know if I agree with that. I, I don't know if I. How agree. do you not agree with that? It, I, I it literally, that is what happens. I don't. Uh, no, I mean, like, literally, what, that what, is what happens. What magic you, happens. What you said happened, but I don't agree that there was like dramatic tone shifts i will say that that scene in the courtyard was probably the most dramatic shift but the whole idea behind that scene was everybody is engaging in like the most carnal expression of love possible you have thousands of bodies writhing in an expression of like pure love that this perfume has elicited and he can't feel it yeah no now that is why it's necessary because it's not one person it's not that girl with the red hair it's not two people it's not 50 people it's thousands and he could have anybody he could do any he could engage in this like massive display of love old young big small like dark hair light hair it doesn't matter male female everybody's there everybody's having a good time and he feels nothing, I, and it I, I crushes him. It is it is the end. It is the ending blow because the the whole like what I was saying about like the collecting these vials to create the different chords of this ultimate perfume is like I said I don't know why, and like that's true because they never explain why he's motivated to do this, except at the end where basically you come to realize he didn't even know why he was motivated to do this. It had something to do with a feeling that he couldn't feel. He couldn't love anybody and he couldn't be loved by anybody, but he knew he was missing out. And his drive to do this was somehow enmeshed with that. And this scene drove the point home that nope, even with a perfume that could literally conquer the world, you are powerless to change the fact that nobody's ever going to love you and you can't love anybody else, which is crushing. I I will accept that, that viewpoint. You know, if you look at the courtyard orgy scene as a tool to help underscore his inhumanity you know when all that stuff is going on you you mentioned he's crushed but he stands there and he's he's looking upon his creation more or less you know he he made this happen he's crying you know you see tears rolling down his face you know he's having arguably his only emotional reaction in the entire movie Mm -hmm. um and i think it, it was you're right i think it's because he can pull this out of everyone but again, he he can't. It's it's out of his reach. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what's the point in conquering the world if um, if you can't feel it? If it doesn't do anything for you? And while I would say that this scene is definitely like a big tone shift in the film, it's necessary because the beginning of the film, the first like ninety percent of the film, is so dark. And, like, this scene had to be, basically, it had to be light and it had to exude love. It's and for, that's, the first, for the first time ever, he's wearing a primary color. He's wearing a blue suit. Yeah, it basically had to had to drive home that, like, hey, we're not talking about, like, guts in the street anymore and, like, horrible things and death and people getting murdered. We're talking about the theme of this particular scene is love and jubilation. And that's definitely something that 
Is that the thing? Uh, is that the arc of the scene? Because uh, uh, it feels like more like manipulation and fornication and lust and base human desires that our character can't even feel either. I think I was closer to that, but I see what you're saying. I, I think I think it is love, and I think, like... You think it's love? Yeah, because I think, like, that's what they're driving home when they're talking about, like, uh, he was having a discussion with Dustin Hoffman at one point in the film, and he said something to the effect of, like, smell is, like, our way of understanding the soul, or something like that, and, like, in that... In that phrase, you're basically capturing the notion that smell is such a base sense that allows us to sort of express love and gratitude. And and it's the kind of thing that elicits emotions unlike any other scent. And I have to, I have to, I have to, please pardon me for cutting you off, Colin. Uh Uh, But I have to do a hard stop on that. Like, smell makes me think of my grandmother's cooking. That I will never have again. Smell makes me think of family dinners at Thanksgiving and maybe uh, maybe a passionate night with a person that I love very deeply. Smell does not make me forget the murder of my daughter. Smell doesn't make me forget the Well, that's the, the suspension sins. of belief. Exactly. Like, this isn't a like, biopic. Again, <laughs> that's, where, that's where, again, the tone shifts again. That, where it's that the is supernatural. The where it's the supernatural super sniffer who can, have, can manipulate and now he's reached max ace level 5000 where he can be like now i will make everyone smell love me <laughs> no but i think that's th- he's an angel th- that's present through- he's an angel that what do you know what a fucking angel smells like that literally cannot be defined literally cannot be defined what an angel smells like so why the fuck would alan rickman suddenly forgive him that's true that's true and i think that that is so where- that that's that's a bigger that's a bigger leap in the fourth chapter I'm sorry. yeah and that that's where like i think the magic element comes exactly. from exactly so perfect magic is magic if you have to have that suspension of disbelief and i think that there is definitely some supernatural elements to like the first you know few acts of this movie but this final one it really just kind of drives it home that like everything that he was doing was culminating to this point and if you're if you're not on board i mean you're you're right you know he he confesses to murdering this this man, Alan Rickman's daughter and Alan Rickman you know he sees everyone falling apart around him falling apart ha- having sex around him and he like you know rejects it and he says I know what you did and he approaches him he walks up to the block he has a sword in his hand and once he gets close to the character you know he he drops his sword and he like you know forgive me and and all of it kind of like washes away I, I see what your, your point is and how it, it, it might seem like it betrays logic and reason, um, but it really just kind of underscores the the supernatural element of this. Sure. I do I, also I, like... And it's that pinch of disbelief. Yeah, and I, I, I do also like almost, you know, I almost want to get like semantic here and like take issue with the use of like the words like magic and supernatural because they sort of elicit like a Harry Potter type like conjuring something from nothing it's literally I, a charm potion i I, I feel like he literally made a charm potion from I, dead hookers <laughs> i feel like it's an extension of things that are already there like people have people have a sense of smell some people have a better sense of smell animals have an incredible sense of smell he's he's teetering on the edge of like an animal sense of smell like smell got, smell can traveling of apothecary kit where you could boil the essence of Alan Rickman's daughter. Yeah. Why smell, does he have smell that? Smell <laughs> can elicit emotions. 
It can elicit strong emotions. Yes, it, it can make... I've seen people cry because of smells. Yes. It's just one step beyond that. It's mm-hmm. not like he unsheathes this potion and the world collapses into a black hole. No. <laughs> it's one step beyond what actually happens in the real world. It is a suspension of the power of smell. The whole movie is about smell. It's completely reasonable that they would take it to these to these levels. Like, that's the theme of the movie is smell right beyond where we think it goes. Like, you're supposed to be the duttered in the fish market in Paris who doesn't know their ass from their elbow when it comes to smell. He is this genius uh, uh, savant uh, that can that can smell things you know uh, thousands of feet away that can discern between all of these various scents all you know that's what you're going into with this movie so I like I don't want the the listeners to walk away thinking that he's got like a magic potion that's like boom you're green now like boom but those boots are walking by themselves sure, and it's no, like I have to push back a little bit yes. <laughs> Yes, our character is well established that he is the Superman of smell, smelling from all from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the sea. He can get he can he can fucking he can fucking follow horses after a day's journey. This is how good he is. He can he walks like a man, but he can follow horses after a day's journey to find the woman he's gonna murder. He's a Superman, and like when Macy's pops a new fragrance, you know, sample. Not everybody in the mall goes fucking orgy mode. But it's that's not, the whole point. Again, again that's it's, the whole it's point. more than one step beyond, though. That's, it's more than one step beyond. It's like 12 steps beyond. That's the whole point, though, is two things that you got like wrong there. One, the perfume is different than other perfumes. Right, because and it's two, made of dead women. And I love smelling <laughs> corpses. And two... Like, the whole Macy's thing, that's exactly what we're talking about. There's other perfume in this movie. Yes. And it doesn't make people go into orgies. Because they made it right, and not out of dead women. <laughs> I think they used lime. Yeah. Lime used, and yeah. a little bit of orange blossom. So, I think... They put the what, lime in the coconut. What, I think <laughs> Drink what, it all up. What we've been under, underscoring <laughs> here for, like, the last ten minutes here is that this scene here, at, at pretty much the end of the movie, pretty is... Much, yeah, last, last 15 minutes, yeah. Is the divisive one of the movie. If you're not on board with it, it's you're very, it's yeah. going to pull you right out and if you're on board with it it's going to underscore many of the reasons why you enjoyed this movie i think you're, you're going to focus on on the tears that he was having and his disconnection or his his disconnect to humanity um, and his experience or you're gonna feel like it's it's a magic potion and i i can see both perspectives on it you know um this is this it's really divisive um, again, carrying it through, um, so that we can kind of continue on here. Cause I think we're, we're already about an hour or so that scene kind of plays out. He basically just walks out of the city, um, because everybody, including the Bishop is naked and he goes back to Paris and he walks back to the fish market where he was born. And you see these, you know, you, you see the, the, the wretch of the town just kind of milling about at night and he kind of walks over he pops the cork on his on his potion on his on his masterpiece and the people consume him and I'm gonna suck his dick. Well, I swear to God somebody said that. They <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> no, basically they didn't <laughs> eat him. You know, they they, they, they rip him apart. Yeah, yeah, they they dogpile him and he's not there when, when they leave. Um 
and that's kind of how it ends. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this movie is absolutely gorgeous. It is. It, every scene in this movie is like a fucking painting. Mm-hmm. It is so well lit. It, the colors are amazing. Yeah. Like, the scenes in the city look like it's either like Brahm or like Rembrandt. Like, it's either something horrific and dark mm-hmm. and gothic and brutal, yeah. or it's so well lit and so, like, it's basically, like, everything's dark, and then the mm-hmm. characters are lit up like a, a fucking Christmas tree. It's incredible. I, uh, the yeah, lighting I, is just, like, something else. And I, then out in the out in the, the country, the it's... Lavender fields. Yeah, it's the, like Van Gogh. Yeah, I mean, it's... Amazing. Just fields of lavender and and beautiful like you know brick buildings and yes. uh, I cannot say more about of how so, beautiful of this so, movie of is. Southern France. I'm, I'm guessing it's Southern France. I think that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Just I'm, I'm speculating. <laughs> Visually, you know, it, it it's it's a great movie. This movie. I mean, it's it's also just so damn creative. Like oh, one yeah, of the this first. Concept, this, if you told me this concept, like in a pitch meeting, like what the fuck? <laughs> Are you gonna make this? Mm-hmm. You're gonna make this. Wait, Dustin Hoffman's on board? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's Sounds a scene that transitions to another scene by flying up his nose, and that doesn't seem weird. If that doesn't, like, describe to you how creative this movie is, and that not being, like, an element that's that seems wonky and out of place, I don't know how else to describe it to you. I mean, like, he's, like, as a kid, he's, like, sniffing a dead rat, and it mm. zooms into the rat, and you see, like, the maggots, maggots crawling yeah. around. Uh. And he's, like, this is the kind of stuff he's picking up on, mm-hmm. and it's it's all very necessary to sort of drive home the point again and again and again that this guy can, like, he can just smell in a way that you cannot perceive, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty amazing, but it's also really, really hard to capsulate for the general audiences. Oh yeah, and I mean in the same way that how do you describe well, how do you, smell? Yeah, how do, you, how do you describe this movie? Well, how would you describe? Yeah, exactly. How would you describe somebody who could see uh, two hundred miles away, you know, and like the, the they could see an ant taking a fart or something, like, or smell an ant taking, taking a fart, taking a fart somewhere taking else, a fart, yeah. you know, just carrying mm-hmm. it on its back. Um, yeah. Well, I know so- sometimes we'll we'll go over these individual things, but we've definitely covered. Um, you know, directing, some writing. We, you know, you talked about score. Very creative. We talked about some intangibles. Are, is there anything else that you guys want to, like, just hone in on? Just various just aspects of this movie? I think we kind of covered it when we were just kind of going through. I, I mean, I liked everything. I didn't like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Mm-hmm. Even, even Alan Rickman's portrayal of All Right, Girls, Hide and Seek is over. But that's a part of the beauty of Alan Rickman. That man Stop. is not only a national treasure, he's a world treasure. You hold Stop. your tongue. Stop playing pin the tail on the donkey. I love you. If anybody Jessica. out there who's an Alan Rickman okay. fan wants Tim's address, I will give it to you and hey. you can settle this with him because hey. I'm not the one making fun well, of Alan Rickman. hang here. on now. I'm not making fun. <laughs> I am paying homage to my lord and savior, Sir Alan Rickman. Yeah, that's right. He should have been knighted. I make out with his Severus Snape poster every night before bed. It's on my wall, above my bed. I feel like that also might prompt some people to want your address for different reasons. No, he's mine! Maybe for the same reason. He is mine! (laughs) He is mine, and my Patronus is Padfoot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, are we... Do you guys feel ready to move into ratings? Uh, let's let's jump we into quotes, quotes real quick. Quotes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. 
Go ahead. No, what, what's okay. your favorite quote? Um, so my quote for this, um, this I believe, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was you're wrong. Okay, well, I will correct right. you. Hang on, <laughs> let me cite your sources. No, uh, at that at that divisive scene that we that we were <laughs> talking about for a while, um, one of the characters, you know, I believe it was the bishop who kind of hollers out, "This is no man. This is an angel." You know, that I think just captures that entire scene. They were all ready to watch a, a good old-fashioned execution. I mean, they were spitting fire. You know, they were ready to do it. And as soon as he Beat popped his that joints. Cork, <laughs> Beat him in 12 places. Yeah, this yeah. murderer is now an angel, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, and that was his mission from the very beginning, you know. So that that's why I picked that quote. Um, it really know. illustrates that shift yep. and the power that he's gained. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I like that on his, like after that scene, when he's, and he's on his way back to Paris, the narrator is talking about the power that he has mm-hmm. in this vial. He's like, he could take over the world. He could mm-hmm. walk into Versailles and talk to the king. He could send the Pope a, a perfumed letter and declare himself the new Messiah and everybody would believe him. He could do whatever he wanted. And it all starts with that quote from the bishop that mm-hmm. he's an angel. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, what kind of quotes uh, you guys got? So I've got, just before that scene, after he gets captured, he's being tortured, and he's, like, suspended upside down by some chains, and he's being lowered into this tank of water, and he gets brought back up, and Alan Rickman is there, and he's basically asking him, why did you kill my daughter? And he keeps asking him that, and he keeps responding with, I just needed her. And I feel like that's the character right there. Like that whole discussion that we had earlier about his perception of people as just being objects, just being a means to an end. He literally viewed that girl as nothing more than a rose. Mm -hmm. She was pretty and he liked the way that she smelled. And he thought no more of killing her and taking her scent than any one of us would at picking a rose. Yep, putting it in a vase. It, it really, like, it, it characterized him perfectly, almost. Yep. And it, it's it's the kind of quote that it'll fly right by you if you're not listening for it. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, because it's, it's such an intense scene, too. Yeah, because, like, Alan Rickman's looking in medicine, and he's right there, and he's dripping with water, and the executioners are there, and they're like... It's very intense. It's a very emotionally intense scene. What do you got, Tim? What I got, I'm glad you guys went first because mine goes all the way peeling back to the beginning of the film where um, he has just committed his first victim's uh, absence of life. Uh, the, the young tangerine lady, the young lady look, uh, selling her fruits. Um, that can mean multiple things. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Uh, she's looking to <laughs> just make her way in the world. And he is obsessed with uh, the smell of her pheromones, hair, body, odor, everything. And um, after after the strangling that Mark had described earlier, um, so this is less than 30 minutes into the film, I think, John Hurt comes in and he gives this amazing explanation. It's like, never again wanted to lose that sublime beauty. And that encapsulates the motivation of this serial killer in the making so perfectly mm-hmm. at the start of the film. That's, what, that's where the great tone shift happens finally that's where that's where you know where you're heading with jean baptiste do we want to jump right into ratings i'm ready i'm ready ready to rock and roll i'm surprised you're ready mark this is a lot to digest yeah you ready mark hit us with it all right um 
I think I'm going to give this a 7.1 rose heads. 7.1 rose heads. Wow, I appreciate that. Like Of all of the elements of the film, so few of them are like actually... Beautiful. Beautiful and nice. <laughs> I appreciate that you went for rose heads. Well done, sir. Good hey, job. It was an element. Mark is the classiest of all of us. He wears uh, uh, tails. Mm-hmm. To these recording sessions, yeah. Tim and I are in like sweatpants and a t-shirt, and and Mark is in. He's dressed to the nines. I have bow tie a t-shirt. And I have a t-shirt on underneath that says "Where's the beef?" <laughs> yeah, I'm even wearing underpants. Whoa! Like wah, cream, wah. Like, like <laughs> leave the silence in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <Like> uh, <laughs> put in some crickets and post. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, what what kind of rating you got, Colin? Uh, okay, so I just, I fucking love this movie, and I am particularly sensitive to movies that I feel, like, the whole purpose of this podcast is for movies that people probably haven't seen, or maybe they've only heard of, and stuff like that, and I feel like this movie is one of the best examples of that, so extra props to it for that, plus just everything was executed so well, it's so beautiful, it's such a creative movie, and it's it's so far apart from everything else that's come out in the last 20 years. So I'm I'm going big on this. I feel super comfortable with like a solid 8.7. Um, this is the important part. This is the important part. 8.7 women oils. Women oils? <laughs> women oils. You heard it first. No, there's 13 I, in the case. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't know how else to oh, put no. that. Oh no! You're you're so <laughs> short of your women oil. What happened? What happened to the other fraction of the vial that you were doing? Can you stop Did by the that? Walmart and pick me what up? What happened some to your ninth oil? oil? <laughs> what happened to your ninth oil? There's only one third of it there. It's very viscous. Yeah, oh she, no! She, she was really short. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> what? Oh no! Your ninth woman was a midget. <laughs> we're bad people. Whoa, oh, we're bad people. Okay. Small person. Sorry. Excuse me. All right, Small Tim. Person. Rating. And... Oh, a lot of editing okay. in this episode. Jeez. Unit of measurement. <laughs> Whoo. All righty. Yeah, as much as I love, I love the lighting, the art direction, and uh, the uniqueness of this film. It goes really. Uh, it takes the serial killer uh, genre and completely takes you. Um, out of left field with it, so it very much surprises you uh, by the end of this film. However, I do I do have to wag my finger at it for changing tones a little too much and under uh, underutilizing such amazing talent and utilizing too much of John Hurt for the narration. It'd be fine if he was just the introduction, because that, that that's a common thing. But man, he he seals focus at the end, and that's unforgivable in my book. So, I'm sorry, listeners out there, um, this this intrepid hero has to give it a 5.5. Lovely handkerchiefs in the air. That is above the 50%. It is above the 50% mark, and it is a lovely handkerchief there, so you can have your street orgy and get chlamydia and also a, a tick in your butt. A tick in your butt. Up, right up there. All right, is that so what happens in orgies? In the streets Probably. of Versailles, yeah. Well, clearly, my uh, my orgy experience is uh, limited. Uh, clearly I've never had a tick in my butt. Clearly, you've never had a lovely Sunday evening in Versailles where, you know, just pants off dance off is happening. <laughs> where the bishops are boning. <laughs> oh, man. Bishops are boning and well, the wine is a flowing. Well, now that we've got France, the. France uh, 2020, baby! Now that we got the handkerchiefs, the woman oil, and the rose, uh, <laughs> the rose heads on the table, 
I think we're ready to wrap. Are we uh, we wrapping it up like yeah. Christmas? Yep. All right. Well, uh, that is all for the El Crep Review. Thank you for listening. If you have any other ideas for movie reviews, email us at three. That's the number three. Men in a basement at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes and Google Play or wherever you find your podcasts. And until then, I'm Colin McLeod. Mark Alpier. Timothy Magic. Bonsoir, intrepidators. Bonsoir. All right. We'll see me in cyberspace. Peace. <laughs>